uh, you know, the, the question is why? You know, what, what is the reason why? Uh, you know, why is he going to do that? Because if, if he's destroying it over a sin or several sins, then obviously God's against it. He's not going to bring judgment to something that he's okay with, right? Does that make sense? Uh, so uh, it, it's one of these things that uh, it's a battleground spiritually for the devil. I don't know if you knew this. But the devil wants to attack every bit of truth from God's word, every bit of it, uh, because if he can attack it uh, and change it enough or get you to question or or or, or whatever, uh, then he can win a little battle. And you're thinking, well, what, what good is that? Well, he just keeps chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And imagine this. You've got a you've got a Bible here. It's small, but it's big. Uh, but if you start to have parts of it where where you're thinking, well, I don't know if that's true and maybe we're just not seeing that the right way or maybe we should ignore that part. You start doing that enough and you become the authority and not God's word. That's what God wants. Or that, I'm sorry, that's what the devil wants. Right? That's what he started in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. The serpent, he was more subtle than any beast. And he goes up to Eve and he's, his question was that he, he was asking her, has God really said, said that? Did he say that? He's still trying to get you to ask the same question. Did God really say that? It's important today. Well, in Genesis 19, that's the destruction of, of Sodom. We're not going to turn there. I don't have time to read the whole thing, uh, but I'll give you a, a summary real quick. Two angels come to visit Sodom. Lot meets them at the city gate, and he wants them to quickly come to his house. He's, a, he's kind of embarrassed. You know, they're coming to the edge. Uh, the fact that Lot was at the gate of the city, we know at that point, he was a man in charge now. He was one of the leaders, even though he's a righteous man. He shouldn't have been there, uh, but he lived there. Why? Because life was good. He didn't, uh, he didn't like what they were doing. Peter tells us that, but he just lived there day to day because, you know, he, he was making a good living. You know, he was uh, seemingly making a good life for himself. But when those angels, when those men of God get to the edge of the city and meet him there, he's worried because he doesn't want them to see what's really going on in the city. So he's rushing them. You got to come back to my house. And you know what they say? No, we're just going to walk through the streets tonight and see what we see. And he's petrified now. He strongly urges them to go in and, and almost forces them to go in his house. Well, later on that night, Genesis 19, 4 and 5 says this. But before they lay down, the angels, he's talking about the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And you're thinking, well, isn't that? That, that's nice. They, they surround the house. All the men of the city want to get to know them, right? They want to introduce themselves, right? That's what it says at the end. You're thinking uh, they, uh, that we may know them. But one of the things I'll let you know about the Bible is it is discreet. It is. And let me read to you what Genesis 4.1 says. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Yeah. Same word. That produced in Adam and Eve their first child is the same word of the men of the city were saying we want to know them. Do you see what's going on here? We've got kids here today, so I'm hoping you can put the one and two together and make three today and help me out here. But uh, but see what's going on. This is They're surrounding his house because two men came in and they want them. That's how wicked the city was. And you're thinking, well, that seems easy, right? 
It seems crystal clear. Well, the biggest problem that's pointed out in Genesis 19 is homosexuality. That's what we see. It's right there. It's crystal clear. But why is it a spiritual battleground if it seems so simple? You may not have noticed this, but as you drive around and if you look up churches online, you might see the phrase open and affirming. Have you ever seen that? They'll have that phrase, maybe a little rainbow icon or a flag or something like that. Well, I did some research the other day. And if you want to be an open and affirming church, you've got to fully include, you know, the acronyms LGBTQ and everything else they add onto it. That not only has to be accepted, but part of your leadership and membership and everything else. If you want to be one of those churches. So when you see them, that's that's exactly what it is. And you have to participate in pride events and everything else and have a pride Sunday. Uh, so, you, so it should make you wonder. Now, wait a second. Remember what I said earlier on? If God destroyed Sodom because of that sin, how is he then OK with it? Right? How can you possibly pick up a Bible and, and call yourself a church and say you follow the Bible uh, if you're just ignoring that? Why? That God destroyed several cities because of it. See, here's what happens. Here's what happens when you've got a problem where the, the Word of God points out a problem in somebody's life or some group or anything like that. You make some choices. Either I'm going to ignore the Bible or I'm going to change the Bible. Or I'm going to change me. Right? Those are your three choices. So a lot of them just ignore it. But then other ones, they've, they've got to deal with it. They've got to uh, do something. So that's what brings us to Ezekiel 16. And you're wondering, why, why are we even doing this, Mike? I agree with Genesis. I, but here's the thing. We're surrounded with people who, if you told them God says homosexuality is a sin, they'd say you're wrong. Right? How do we answer it? With God's word. I'll take you to the verses they use to tell me I'm wrong and you're wrong. That's where we're going to go. I'm not afraid of using the Bible. Are you? I'm not afraid of getting into the Bible. I'm not afraid of because this is the this is the reality today. Uh, the devil uses it as, as a spiritual battleground. So we'll see uh, what they're talking about. So I'll paint you the picture of Ezekiel 16 real quick. Uh, we've been in Ezekiel actually a couple times lately. Uh, and here's what's going on. The children of Israel are in their sin. Uh, they have turned away from God. They've replaced God with idols. That's one of the big things that they did. And God said, I'm sending judgment. Jerusalem's going to fall. You're going to be taken captive. So this is Ezekiel's warning to God's people. Uh, Wednesday night, we even talked about chapter 14 of Ezekiel. They had idols in their heart. Do you remember that? So here's Ezekiel 16, 48. Uh, as I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughters, as thou hast done, and thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. So he's going to list it out. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for allowing us to come together. I thank you for your word today. Lord, I ask that you'd help me today to be able to preach. Lord, help us to listen and to hear what your word has to say. And Lord, I ask that you touch hearts today. Lord, no matter what the issue is, Lord, if we deal directly with it or not, I know the Holy Spirit can touch hearts no matter what. And that's what I'm asking today so that you get the glory. Lord, help me today in Jesus' name and amen.
So they'll point to that passage, especially verse 49, and say, hey, if Ezekiel has a word from the Lord and he's going to tell us what the sins of Sodom are, what is it? Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness or laziness, you could sum it up to. They didn't strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, uh, uh, you know, and they usually stop right there. They don't keep going haughty and committed abomination. They'll say, hey, Mike, I don't see it in that list. You know what that must mean? God didn't care about it. He destroyed them because of these things and not because of the homosexuality. That's what they'll say. That's what they'll argue with you. I'm just telling you their argument right now with what they'll say. But you know what I would stop and say is now, wait a second. Wait a second. Ezekiel 49, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. And look at the very first sin that's mentioned is the word pride. You see that? Pride. Now, I'll skip down to the very first one you see listed in verse 50. The next verse, it says haughty. And I will tell you, if you look up the word pride and look up the word haughty, it's the same thing. It means the same. They're interchangeable. Okay? Haughty means pride. Pride means haughty. You got that? So now, if we're listing out sins... Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her, her, and her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty. You get that? Why would I say they had pride and they had pride? I wouldn't. I wouldn't, would I? What is the name that they use for everything today? What is it? Pride. It's pride. Right? They have parades. They have uh, uh, groups with that name. Everything that they come up with. And all the religious scholars are going to say, well, the problem with Sodom, they were too prideful. Right? The lots of visitors came. They weren't hospitable. You know, that's what they'll say. They didn't treat them well uh, uh, and all those things. And, and they didn't give to the poor. And that's why God completely destroyed them. But no I believe, I, I, well, one thing is just a little bit of an opinion I'll give you. I, I imagine if we walk through the streets of Sodom, I don't think it'd look a lot different than some of the pride things we see today. The same devil is working on both of them. Right. And our God knew that 2,500 years later, they'd be using the same word. I think it's the same. But even if you don't buy any of that, what's he say? And committed abomination. That covers it anywhere. So here is the argument that I would use. If you don't think Ezekiel is clear enough, the book of Jude, verse 7, says this. Now I want you to stick with me. We're going to switch directions near the end and it'll help you. Jude 7 uh, says this. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, are giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So that little book of Jude right before Revelation also mentions the sins of Sodom. And it says they gave themselves over to fornication. And that's any activity outside of marriage. Right? And marriage is only a man and a woman. That's it. That's all God allows. So that fornication covers everything. It covers an unmarried man and woman and covers a man and man and woman with woman. It covers the whole thing. And it says they went after strange flesh. Well, Romans chapter 1 tells us there's a natural use of the body and then there's an unnatural use. Right. The natural is a man with a woman. 
That temptation is natural. Uh, the man and man and woman with woman that they went after, that's unnatural or strange. So that's what it's talking about. And they went after strange flesh. And I'm here to say, here's the thing with the battleground. They didn't just go after. Uh, God just, it wasn't homosexuality that was the only problem. They had other problems. But it was the main one that we see. But here's the thing I want us to look at today. Here's how Jesus mentions this in Luke 17, 28. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But in the same day that Lot went out of Sodom and rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Right after Jesus Christ talks about what it was like in Noah's day. Remember Noah that built the ark? He got in it. The flood came. Everyone was, uh, uh, the judgment came by water. Everyone was destroyed. God started with Noah and his family. Jesus said in Noah's day, he mentioned some things. Then he mentions what it was like in Lot's day. And in both accounts, you see something. You see that they were living their life as if judgment would never come. Right? It, they were living as if, uh, uh, you know, here, here's the thing. It mentions they, they ate, they drank, right? So just like normal, uh, either we're going to go out to eat, we're going to have people over to our house and fellowship and eat, and they're doing all these things, making plans as if judgment would never come. They bought and sold merchandise, bought and sold land as if judgment would never come. They're living their life. They planted seeds. Do you realize somebody could have planted seeds the morning of, and then it was destroyed with fire and brimstone, those seeds were all burned up. If they would have known it was coming, they never would have planted. If you're a farmer, and the doctor tells you you've got a week to live, are you going to rush out to the farm field? Or are you going to set your house in order? Right? That's the problem right here. He's saying right here, he's saying, hey, uh, uh, they built houses and buildings that were destroyed before they were even finished or enjoyed. That's the problem. He's saying, hey, uh, they were doing all of these things. And imagine this, if there was a genuine warning that was given out that the city was going to be destroyed and everyone in it would die, then they would run. They would evacuate. They would get out of there. But here's what happens. I don't know if you've seen this before. The warning goes out, and then people make a choice. Yeah. Right? They say the hurricane's coming. Some get out of there. Some say, I'm staying. I'm not going anywhere. Amen. Hey, I work in an office. I've worked in an office for a long time. Fire alarm goes off. I'm one of those ones that gets up and starts to get out of there. I start to walk out of there. I don't Amen. care. I don't care if it's a false alarm or what. I'm leaving. I'll figure that out from outside. There are people that aren't, that can't be bothered. I see this all the time. They'll be working on something and they'll just keep working and keep working. I'm like, what are you doing? We got to get out of there. Nothing's that important. Yeah, right. See, that's just a silly example, isn't it? What if the alarm from God's going off and you've got people saying, you know what? I'd rather plant. I'd rather figure out what I'm going to eat tonight, right, or, or this afternoon. I, I, I'd rather uh, get, sign a contract with a builder to build a house or something like that, even though God's saying there's not that much time. Judgment's coming. That's what he's saying. They, the, the warning had went out. And Jesus had been preaching, and he's telling you that, hey, uh, 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 the warning is coming. Judgment is coming. 
And we are here week after week preaching and teaching and witnessing and trying to tell people that, hey, if you leave this life without Jesus Christ, you will open your eyes in hell. Jesus explained what would happen to you. You would close your eyes here and you would open your eyes in hell. That's what the rich man did. And he was in torment. And that's the same thing that would happen to you. We are trying to warn people because in Noah's day, they ate, they drank, they gave in marriage. Uh, they did all these things again, living as if nothing would happen. And I was thinking, can you imagine someone living in that day, sitting on an outside patio, eating at some restaurant and watching two pairs of animals uh, that are normally wild are walking themselves into that ark and thinking, wow, that's different. Yeah, Let's get another appetizer, right? Let's get another drink. And it seems funny and ridiculous, but that's what people were doing. Yeah. Same in Lot's day. Living life as if normal. And they wouldn't even see the rest of that day. What about you? What about you? What are your plans for today? What, what big things do you have for tomorrow, for next week, for the, you know, making plans about Christmas and everything else? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed later today. I've said it many times. People have driven down this very road and that S curve that's down there, right? Just, just a mile or two right down the road. We've seen head on collisions. You may not even make it home. You think, well, Mike, you're just trying to scare me or everything else. I'm telling you what, the rich man opened his eyes in hell and was there forever. If it, that's as scary as I can get. I don't want you to be there. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ himself said, when I come back, you know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like Noah's day. It's going to look like Lot's day. That's what he said. And we've been talking about Lot's day. Lot was in Sodom. He just barely got out. And there's no more important decision that you have than whether what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Are they going to admit that you're a sinner? And we talked about this in Sunday school. We were going through the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody can keep it. Nobody can keep every bit of the Sermon on the Mount. We don't treat our enemies the way he says to treat them. We don't forgive as freely. We don't always act in meekness and not in anger and everything else. We, we will never follow everything uh, that Jesus tells us to do to live righteously. But aren't you glad once you realize that you can't and that you're a sinner, then you can realize that Jesus Christ came and died to save sinners. And you can call on his name for salvation. You can. But what more decision in life do you have? And how foolish was it for Lot's day and Noah's day to live their life normal when judgment was coming? People putting all kinds of energy into relationships, into careers, into education, into families, into everything else. These things aren't bad in and of themselves. But if you're missing the point that judgment is coming and you're not ready then set the relationship aside for a minute and take care of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what I'm saying. Putting all this energy into it. And Jesus Christ himself said, when I come back, it will look like Lot's day. Yeah. What did Lot's day look like? Homosexuality. Fornication everywhere. Pride everywhere. Right? Right? Haughtiness. Everyone was all built up of themselves. That's all they cared about was themselves. What else? What else did they have? They were just uh, uh, pride, fullness of bread. 
Is anyone starving here today? No. What else did they have? Uh, they had idleness. My goodness. You think of it, it wasn't that long ago. People had to work all day long and then just to the point where they're exhausted, go to sleep, wake up and do it all over again to live. We just go to the, uh, the Dollar General down the road and get us some stuff and then go on home and we'll take a nap today, right? Amen. Our, our, our uh, technology and innovation, we don't have to work as hard as they used to. Idleness. They were a blessed city. They were material, had blessings and everything else. And it caused them to be idle. They didn't strengthen the poor and needy. And abominations committed everywhere. Let me ask you this question. What are we missing today from that list? What are we missing? What's not going on? One thing. I can't find anything. And Jesus said, he said, I will tell you the day that I come. But I'll tell you what it's going to look like. Yes. All that way you can yeah. see. Right? We don't. We, uh, we just had a baby born uh, in the church this morning, right? And and you don't know the exact day. They guess. They try to tell you. Uh, uh, you know, here's the due date. Maybe it's close. Maybe it's not. Harper was a month early. wasn't very close at all. But what happens? You start to see the signs that it's coming, right? It gets stronger and stronger, and you start to realize it's coming soon. I don't know the day. <laughs> But the signs are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So what are you going to do today? Are you just going to eat and drink? Right? Make plans? Maybe build something? Plant something? Work on something? What are you going to do today? Knowing that they were living in Lot's day, that day they lived it just like normal. And then all of a sudden the sky opened up. And fire and brimstone rained down, right. and it was too late. Lot warned his daughters that were married and their son-in-laws and their families, warned them, you've got to get out of the city. Right. And they laughed at him. There are people that would listen to this message and would laugh at us. And it's sad. It's sad. Do I take joy in that? No. It pains me. It hurts me. Knowing that there are people that we love and care about that would rather take care of material things in this life and care more about the here and now than for eternity. And we're just trying to flip it around and say, will you just put this current life on pause for one second and think about what happens after yes. that? Yes, amen. Because it's eternity. This life the Bible describes as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. You boil water, that steam comes off, and within a second it's gone. You can't find it. That's our life. It's that quick, the Bible says. And then what's forever after that? Because if you're saved by Jesus Christ, oh, you won't live a perfect life after that either. But I'm telling you what, I'm glad he's working on me. I'm glad he loves me. I'm glad he shows me mercy. He's allowed me to continue in him. And one day when I close my eyes in death, not because I'm a pretty good person, but when I was nine years old down in our living room at Ashley, I asked Jesus Christ to save me because I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was headed to hell. Even at nine years old, I asked him to save me. I don't remember Brother Preston, the words that I said. I just remember praying to him. And after a few minutes, I can just feel peace already as a nine-year-old boy yeah. and he saved my soul and that's the reason yeah. I closed yeah. my eyes in death it 
me in the car or my heart stops working or anything else. Oh, it'll be a sad time. It'll be hard for the church because you got to replace your pastor and everything. But I'm telling you what, I'll open my eyes and see Jesus Christ, the one I've worshipped, the one I've prayed about, the one I've sang about, the one I've tried to memorize his word about, all these things, the one I've loved for so long. I will finally see him face to face, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Now, what about you? You will close your eyes one day. Where are you going to open them? Where are you going to open them? The devil wants you to think that all, there's no problem at all. You're a pretty good person. You help out this, you do that. That is a lie and it's not in the Bible. Jesus died because we're all sinners. And he wants to save you today. He wants to. He loves you. And maybe he's talking to you right now. I'm going to ask everyone to stand.